Oh, Lord, uh, as we open your word, uh, this is your word that we're opening, Lord. Uh, You are the one who comes with power and might. You're the one who stands in heaven, holy, 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 adored eternally. And I pray, Lord, as we open your word, that your spirit would so fall upon us gently but deeply to bring uh, just this deep conviction of our own uh, failing, but also of your great faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are faithful, and that as we look to you, uh, we know that you will be uh, always faithful. Lord, would you uh, open our eyes to see Jesus this morning? And in his name I pray. Amen. So we're looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And I'm going to share just a, a very brief story to connect uh, just transition from the prayer to going to the into the sermon. Uh, several months ago, I was invited by one of uh, the, our friends. Um, this friend was essentially my wife's friend, and, and so they connected, they got along very well. And then they invited us to go to, you know, her and her uh, partner invited us to go to a music kind of event by the water near Celebrary, and, and I thought, well, that's a great thing. You know, they're, they're non-Christians, and we wanted to befriend them, and uh, befriend them for the sake of befriending them, but also to share Jesus with them. And um, it turned out that my wife was not able to go, and then uh, she said, well, why don't you go? And I thought, well, okay, well, I don't really know him. Uh, I kind of know her a little bit. Uh, Whatever, I'll go. So I went, and we had a great time. Uh, There was some wonderful music by the water, and it was just a, a beautiful time together with, with people that I got, to, that I got to, to know as the evening went on. And then something really, um, really inappropriate happened. I'm not going to share what it is. It's not, uh, I don't need to share the details, but something really inappropriate happened. And then all of a sudden, uh, everyone kind of looked at me, because I'm kind of like the, the Christian pastor figure in that circle. And everyone's kind of looking at me, and then, uh, and then one of them says, oh, sorry, um, I, 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 we shouldn't have done that. And so anyway, I, I, I don't need to share the details of what I said. It, it went, went well. Like I, I had a good kind of response to make it funny and, and, and not to put attention on them or anything. But things like that happened. And sometimes things like that happen. And, and sometimes I wonder, what would Jesus do in situations like that, right? Like would Jesus kind of, what if he, would he have walked away? What if it, would he have stayed there? Would he have joked with them? Uh, and the text today is going to give us a bit of a light on what jesus would have done what jesus has done what jesus would do again will do again loves to do and wants us to do as well so um i'm going to try to keep this kind of narrow in the focus because it's only four verses that we're looking at this morning but uh boy there's a lot of things we can talk about but i'll read the text i'll I'll start with um with verse one and we'll get a a sense of where to go from there so uh, sorry verse nine our first verse of our our section here that we're looking at it says as jesus passed on from there he saw a man called matthew sitting at a tax booth and i'll pause there and i'll just give a bit of context here um so jesus as far as a reader in the gospel of matthew would know jesus is uh, seen to be the son of david so king david the great king of israel uh, of whom god promised would have an eternal kingdom jesus is said to be his son, uh, the greater King David. And he's also shown to, uh, to, to be the son of God through his baptism. 
And afterwards, he goes on a teaching ministry, which uh, lasts for about two chapters. And, uh, and after that, a healing and, and, and restoring ministry where he performs a lot of miracles. And in that section, chapters about five to, to nine, uh, it, it's kind of marked or, 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 or framed by these words that Jesus went on teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So we're right in the middle of, of this uh, second part of this section, uh, this, this part of healing and restoring. So chapters 8 and 9, we're, we're in chapter 9, it focuses on healing uh, miracles. So Jesus is here, he's the, he's the, the son of God, uh, the, the, the greater King David, and he's teaching the kingdom of God that is, is right here, it's right now, it's happening, and he's also showing it through signs, various signs, healing diseases and afflictions. And he's encountering this man, uh, he says here, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. So this Matthew uh, is the writer of this gospel account here, and Matthew is said to be called Levi in the gospel of Luke, as well as, as Mark. Uh, his, his name, his, uh, presumably his old name was Levi, and, um, and he's a tax collector. And for us, tax collector, you, you, maybe you're thinking CRA, month of April. Uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, actually, tax collector would be someone who stands at a, at a border of, of a particular province in, in, the, in the empire and would work for the Roman Empire. And then he would uh, collect taxes uh, from people who are traveling with goods from one part of the province to another. So essentially like a border guard. If you could think of it that way, or customs officer, someone who collect taxes. But it's a little bit worse than that. I know that you guys are probably, maybe you have bad experiences at the border. It's a little bit worse than that. Actually, if you can imagine, if you can imagine something like the Hells Angels have taken over the, 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 the Canadian border services and they're operating at every, like it's, it's bad. It's really, really bad, okay? Um, they, they're just collecting money for themselves, for their bosses, for, for the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire is good. They're okay with that. Uh, but the Jewish people are not. Uh, they're not. And yet Matthew is, is a Jewish man. So there's something really, really twisted going on here. And Jesus is going towards Matthew. And what does he say to Matthew? Uh, and right before that, I'll, I'll just kind of comment here, just to bring this to today. We can think of Matthew as kind of like a countercultural relativist. Uh, a relativist is someone who kind of lives on his own, by his own, with his own law, his own idea of what what life is about, his own pursuits. He's not following the norm. He's not following the culture. He's not following what, uh, what people uh, think. He's really living for uh, progress to progress to progress, working his career, trying to go up uh, and trying to, to accumulate wealth for himself for, for his own sake. So Matthew is, is kind of like a, a relativist today. So what happens when Jesus comes across such a person uh, unruly, unworthy, maybe in the eyes of the uh, religious class, the uh, political elites, and maybe the, the academic establishment. Uh, what, would, what would Jesus say here? It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. So Jesus said, follow me. <laughs> so I, I think I've kind of painted the scene here. This is strange. This is, this is not what you would expect. 
But Jesus says, follow me. You would expect probably something like silent indifference. You know, you've been in that situation where you look at someone, you, you think like, I hope this person doesn't even look at me. And you kind of walk by. I've been in that situation uh, because they're so unruly, maybe so different. Uh, and may, or maybe you would think Jesus would give him religious advice. You know, maybe you should say a prayer. Uh, maybe that'll help you in life. And you just kind of give that and move on, right? Move on quickly because you don't want them to start talking with you and, and maybe do something uh, to you. But Jesus gives them two words, follow me. And these two words are packed with, with meaning and purpose. How so? Well, he says, follow me. He's giving a new object in life. Me. Jesus. Not wealth, not himself, not his career, not his reputation. Me, Jesus. There's a new me that he's following. It's Jesus. And we all follow something in life. We all follow, maybe follow something, someone uh, in life. But Jesus is, is dislodging that something in, in Matthew's life when he's saying, follow me. As a, as a border guard, customs officer, Matthew would have certainly heard of Jesus kind of walking around, going from place to place. He would have heard of him. He would have heard of the things that he's done. But Jesus is going to him and saying, follow me. And in the words of the uh, prophet Isaiah, we can see this as a conversion experience. Matthew rose. You think of Isaiah 60, where it says, arise. Uh, Matthew rose. He got up and he followed him. And this is very significant. Uh, in a booth, uh, in a place like that, you sit, you work, God up. He's not, he's not, he's leaving that old life behind. And he's walking away towards Jesus. And in just a few words, we're, we're seeing here the choreography of conversion, what that looks like. So what do we learn from Jesus here? We, we talked about Matthew, we talked about Jesus, but what do we learn about, about Jesus in these verses? Well, here's my first point, if uh, Scott can bring that up. Uh, Jesus's word is healing power. Jesus' word is healing power. So we're going to zoom out here a little bit. I'll try to explain that in the context of, of what is happening here. So Matthew's conversion is situated in a section where Jesus has been healing ordinary people like you and me uh, with hurts and, and with sometimes even with demons, uh, people who've been, uh, whose bodies have been broken their whole lives. Jesus goes towards them, has been healing them, He's demonstrating his power by his word, and I'll give just three examples of the last two chapters of how significant that is. So in chapter 8, verse 8, we read that uh, the centurion replied to Jesus, Lord, I am not worthy uh, to have you come under my roof, but, have, but, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. And this faith of the centurion uh, is at the very beginning of that, that section where Jesus has been healing people. It just seems like it's a door that unleashes healing upon the world in Jesus' ministry as he has faith in Jesus' word. Uh, verse 16 of chapter 8. That evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And lastly, uh, just the section that comes before uh, what we're looking at right now, the conversion of Matthew. Uh, just before this, uh, we see uh, Jesus just with, with words. He's saying, and he's, he's playing with words just because he's showing that he has so much power. He's saying, your sins are forgiven to a paralytic man. 
And the paralytic man uh, is kind of like, what? And then the Pharisees are like, that's sinful, that's blasphemy. And then he says, well, what's, which one is easier? Rise and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Uh, just showing the authority that Jesus has with his word. And what's, what's important for us to, to understand here is that, uh, that the Bible, the scriptures, are God's authoritative word. It's his word for us today. Jesus speaks to us today through his word. And, and how does that work? I mean, it's not like, I mean, it looks like another book that you would find at the library or at, at, at uh, university, but it's different because it, there are words that are inspired by the Spirit. And as we're reading them, our hearts uh, receive the word as a seed, but the Spirit comes upon those words, gives us faith. The Lord comes to us by his Spirit, and there's this kind of union, this Trinitarian dance with God that as we open his word and avail ourselves or make us available to to his word he comes and meets us and he comes to do surprising things with his word and um, just to give a bit of a bit of an idea of how powerful jesus's word is uh, again so we're just going i'm just going to just briefly express some of the themes that are going on from chapter 8 to where we are now uh, that, that showcase Jesus's authority in his word. Uh, he heals the centurion's servant with one word from a distance, like before internet, before Wi-Fi, before 5G, like whew, he's healed over there. Uh, Jesus restores the natural chaos by rebuking the winds. Jesus restores spiritual chaos by casting out demons out of a man by his word. He restores or he heals a man's broken body the paralytic, and then he heals a man's broken soul, Matthew. And so in all of this, the God who created the world by his word has shown up, and by his word, he's recreating the world. And that's what we're seeing, and this is what we're living in right now. We're living in that very time and place. Um, I don't know what news channel you watch. You may get very, very different pictures of of what's going on in the world, what's pre preoccupying the world. Um, but this is what's happening right now, that Jesus is remaking the world by his word. The very God who made the world by his word has shown up here right before Matthew and is he's on a mission as big as redeeming the whole world, the whole cosmos, the unseen spiritual world, and as personal as redeeming individuals, bodies, and souls like you and me. This is who we're looking at here. This Jesus whose, uh, whose word is healing power. I want to read a, a quick little quote for, for you from uh, J.C. Ryle's commentary. It's a very pastoral commentary. I recommend it to you if, if you're looking for some spiritual devotion on the Gospels. I find it to be absolutely fantastic. So um, it says here, we should learn from Matthew's case that with Christ, nothing is impossible. He can take a tax gatherer and make him an apostle. He can change any heart and make all things new. Let us never despair of anyone's salvation. Let us pray on and speak on and work on in order to do good to souls, even to the souls of the worst. The voice of the Lord is mighty in operation, Psalm 29 verse 4. When he says, by the power of the Spirit, follow me, he can make the hardest and most sinful obey. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. 
So how does the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus, you know, God incarnate, showing his power to, to liberate captives, make sinners free from sin to live holy lives, how does, how does Jesus and the beauty of the gospel and, and the Holy Spirit work in bringing Matthew from being tax collector to where he is in the next verse? Well, let's look at the next verse. Uh, it says in verse 10, And Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. We'll pause there again. And so the beauty of the Spirit's work in, the, in, in how Matthew receives the gospel in his life, the beauty of the Spirit's work in Matthew is that, uh, that Matthew goes from being sinner to sponsor. He was a, a sinner. He lived by the principle of, of, of himself, not God, himself, not others, himself, to, to being a sponsor of Christian mission and evangelism. Uh, he, like many others in, in the Gospels who came to know Jesus, consolidated his life. He thought, well, what do I have? What time do I have? What treasure do I have? What talent do I have? And what people do I know? And what did he do? He, he took his old friends and his new Jesus, and he brought them together in a meal. And we see this here. It's, it's not clear in this uh, particular telling of the story, presumably because Matthew's uh, very humble and sparing in, in details for, for the sake of humility. But Luke uh, is maybe, maybe it's because not, it's not himself. It's not about himself. He's writing of Matthew giving, giving out a great feast. Uh, Matthew threw a huge feast. He was a very wealthy man. And so he threw a big feast. Got his old friends, knew Jesus, used his resources to advance the gospel. He was no longer a sinner, but a sponsor of Christian mission and evangelism. And as Matthew beheld Jesus in the beauty of the gospel, he became like him. It says, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, so, so Matthew tapped into his connection, his, his workplace buddies, as well as his you know, his, his uh, smoking buddies at the bottom of the, of the, the building, you know, where all the people from different departments kind of meet, they smoke, they, they kind of, they have nothing in common except cigarettes. You know, those people, <laughs> they like their 10 minute break. Or maybe it's the coffee group. Uh, he's, he's tapping into that. He's bringing all these people. He's like, I, I know these people and, and they'll see my life has changed. They'll see it. And so what does he do? He brings them together and uh, has them meet Jesus. And this is a pattern for us, for every single one of us. It's a pattern for when we convert, uh, when we know Jesus for the first time, and it's also a pattern uh, as we journey with Jesus uh, through our lives. I, I'm probably not going to find it right away, but it's in uh, Psalm 66, I believe, verse 13, where, where the psalmist says, Come, everyone, all of you who fear the Lord, and come and seek, so that's what I can tell you what the Lord has done, the good that he's done to my soul. Uh, and so it's, it's not just when, you're, when you convert to Jesus and you're all excited and on fire, and so, but it's also as you're journeying with Jesus. Uh, life changes. You may, maybe you move in a different city, and you get to know your neighbors. You knock on the door. You say, hi, I'm here. Here's a bread. Bye. <laughs> and then you, you see that every time you see them, you wave, you wave. Uh, I'll just kind of share. There's one neighbor of mine that uh, uh, I, it took us about a year for him to wave back. Um, so every time he would open his, his, and we're not that many people on our streets, like he knows we're there, I know he's there, 
he opens his door and it just like he lives about like 100 feet from from where we live and it just smells like 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 pot right like it's just like smells like 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 big and anyway we we started calling him a <laughs> i'll just say it because because i'm I, i'm fleshly we started calling him pothead i'm like no we can't do that like we have to start calling him something else we're gonna call him zacchaeus that's what we're gonna call him zacchaeus uh we're gonna prophesy he's zacchaeus so anyway we find out fi finally found out his name at christmas when i went went over with a shovel and and offered him to help he said it was okay and all that but i got to meet him that was about two years after it took him about a year to finally wave back and so so what what people do we know what neighbors do we know what work uh what co-workers do we know um what friends old friends family all these people and we consolidate and we continually consolidate our lives to bring uh to bring people to jesus to bring all things to jesus because that's where history is pointing all things come from him and and they're pointing towards him they're being reunited and reconciled to jesus now that might come with mockery <laughs> that might come with scoffing resistance and that's just the christian way and that's okay because we are from heaven and people might say how could you do that how 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 could you you know, spend your resources on on people like that you know uh, you don't even know them why would you have them at your house they're different than you they're a different skin color than you why would you have them in your house they speak a different language they vote politically different why would you receive them at your house uh, they're a different class you should be going up in life you should be inviting people that are just above you so that you can make your way up with them not down <laughs> why would you do that and in fact that's exactly the criticism that jesus receives in verse 11 so let's read that and when the pharisees saw this they said to his disciples to jesus disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners there it is why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners and here's my second point i'll ask scott to put the second point jesus eats and fellowships with sinners he is clean he is mercy of god i'll read that again jesus eats and fellowships with sinners he is clean he is mercy of god the word fellowship is kind of like a christianese word i i don't know if you notice we're going to be so used to that but uh, our non-christian friends don't really use it it's kind of like just a, a word to say like he, he's befriending them or he's uh he's friendshipping with them but that sounds like something else sounds like you're sending your friends away so we don't use that word but fellowshipping it's uh it's just you know eating and befriending people and, and so, so jesus eats and fellowships with sinners tax collectors this idea taps into this big biblical narrative of what happens from the very beginning of creation to the very end of of history in the whole scriptures that we have the garden of eden where god uh, creates this whole world but he also creates a garden in this world and he 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 creates um he creates uh, fields for for wheat and he also creates trees for fruit so you have the two elements of communion even in genesis 1 at the very end and so his plan is to have communion with them in Genesis 2. He has communion with them. He has fellowship with them. He gives them a food to eat. And, and from there, uh, he's always, you know, he gives Noah a garden to build. And he, he's all, there's always food everywhere and in Scripture where God wants to eat with people. And then as we see with Jesus, it culminates where God eats with sinners and tax collectors and 
because Jesus is clean, capital C, the source of cleanliness, the source of purity, he, unlike the Pharisees would think, does not become unclean by eating with tax collectors and sinners. He is clean, cleanliness itself. He goes towards them and, and he exudes cleanliness. And he is not just ceremonially clean, but he's also mercy of God, that very, the nut of the shell, uh, the, the, the very substance. He is mercy of God, the substance that God delights in when, when we honor him through our lives is that mercy. He is the mercy of God. And all of that points to the cross. All of that is part of the orchestration, the, the musical harmony, the, the cadences, the rhythm, and all of that is, is all pointing to the cross, that God's intention is to have a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you and me, ordinary, broken people, hurting people, confused people, uh, people who, without God's grace, would have no idea where to go in life, um, or might have a very good idea where to go in life and would find out that later on it was the wrong idea or we'd be lost or we'd be disappointed. God's intention is to come to see you and me. That, that points to the cross, that essence of communion, that fellowship, that friendship. I often tell people that God doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. It's very easy to remember. Uh, I just kind of let that slip by you know, at work or with, with neighbors or whoever that I, I, I get to encounter when we have a, a spiritual conversation like that. Like God's plan is to have relationship and not religion. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, are stuck in religion and are offended by Jesus. And yet, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, cuts at the very heart of that. And Jesus illustrates that perfectly in his response to them. We'll read that again, verses 12 to 13. Um, but when, oh sorry, right before that, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see the juxtaposition here of Jesus' response. Verse 11, Pharisees call him teacher. Jesus says, I'm a physician. If you have a teacher, you can just kind of make your way up, right? I, th I think we know this in downtown Montreal, right next to, well, on the McGill campus, academia. You, you have a good teacher, and then boom, you go there, and then you're thinking, okay, next program, master's degree. What kind of teacher do I want? Who do I want? You go to this program, you, you kind of aim for the right teacher, and you want to kind of make your way up, and that's a, it's a good and natural thing. But when it comes to God and Jesus, it's a different thing. We don't need a good teacher. Although he is a great teacher, he is the ultimate teacher, at no cost, by the way. <laughs> He's a physician, because we need a physician, and that's the gospel. Teacher, religion, physician, gospel. We need a physician. So verse 12, but when Jesus heard it, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And of course, what he means here, those who are well, it's, um, I mean, it, no, no one is well. The Bible says that. No one is well. Facebook makes it look like people are well. There's a lot of well people out there. But the reality is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
meaning all were made and designed for the glory of God, but all have fallen short. All have fallen short. All we like sheep have gone astray and have gone our own ways. We, are, we have fallen short and we need someone to operate on us the healing of God. And Jesus highlights how religion clouds our thinking so as to believe our good deeds can outweigh our bad deeds. Uh, isn't that just the way that religions and spiritualities operate? If you just kind of make your way up a little bit, you're going you're gonna to achieve the goal of the religion or of the spirituality. If you just fix yourself a little bit. But Jesus said, you, you, not a teacher, physician. Physician is what you need before you start learning. And those who are sick here in, in the text, um, he's referring to those, who are, to those who have enough honesty and self-awareness to know that they are not God, that they are not living in his glory, uh, the, the measure that he has for us, the desire, the design that he has for us. Uh, but, but he has come as the physician to restore us to that, to bring us to that, to carry us over to that. And so here's my next point. That Jesus alone heals the world, one sinner at a time. Jesus alone heals the world, one sinner at a time. I've mentioned sinner quite a few times, sin, sinner, sins. Um, in our day and age, there's a very different idea of what sin is. And the way that I kind of explain it is, is, is that sin is not really a thing. You can't really just go like, oh, that's sin. Like th that thing in its full essence is sin. Sin is always a corruption of something good, right? It's always the breakdown of something good, the twisting of something good, the perverting of something good. Uh, sin is always in relation to something that is good. And so, yes, we can identify that is sinful, uh, that is sin, but only in relation to something that is good. And to most people, that actually makes quite a lot of sense. Um, so in that way, S-E-X is not sin. There can be sinful expressions of it, many, but God designed it for good, for human flourishing, and in its right and proper place. So Jesus alone, Jesus alone heals the world one sinner at a time. And I'll read a second quote. It's my last quote uh, that I'll read today uh, from the same author, writer, J.C. Ryle. He says, let us make sure that we thoroughly understand the doctrine that these words contain. Speaking of Jesus as our physician and our need to show and learn mercy. The first thing needful in order to have an interest in Christ is to feel deeply our own corruption and to be willing to come to him for deliverance. We are not to keep away from Christ, as many ignorantly do, and I might add um, many perfectionists do. Are there any perfectionists here? <laughs> as many perfectionists do, uh, because just because we feel bad and wicked and unworthy, we are to remember that sinners Perfectionists that don't live up to perfectionism are those who came into the world to save. There was the, the, those he came into the world to save, and that if we feel ourselves such, it is well. Happy is he or she who really comprehends that one principal qualification for coming to Christ is a deep sense of sin. Um, we don't want to stay there. You don't want to stay and wallow in your sins. You want to be honest about your sins. So that Jesus can come truly to you in a way that 
is renewing in a way that gives new life and new breath of fresh air in your life. And that's what Jesus does. And so finally, we go and learn, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is written to the Pharisees, in particular, uh, to the Pharisees who couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah, but it's also written to us, uh, who have been living in, uh, maybe for our outer ex appearances of righteousness, rather than a heart affection for Jesus and for others, uh, Jesus is calling us who have a, also have a tendency to, to go into religion, religiosity, where, uh, my, where my, you know, the story of my friends who, uh, who, who did something inappropriate, I could have said, no, that's, that's wrong, I need to go out of here, I need to leave. Um, maybe there are times when things are just really dark, that was not one of those instances, but sometimes there are times when you just have to, you have to leave, right? Uh, that was not one of those, uh, but I could have said, those are sinners, I am a Christian, a pastor, a, an evangelist, I am worthy of much higher conduct than that, I shall depart. <laughs> I could have said that, right? Uh, but by God's grace, I didn't. And we invited them to supper not too long after, because at the end of that, that day, we finally had a conversation about Jesus. Finally. The last five minutes. I was about to leave, didn't leave, but, uh, and, and I started having a conversation with one of the people there. My friends came back, and uh, they got into the conversation a bit, and they said, you know what? We need to sit down. We need to talk about Jesus more. We need to talk about this, because I haven't heard that before. And, uh, and we're really, like, thinking things through these days, and we're kind of reevaluating our lives, and let's talk about Jesus. And so we had them over the next month, and we had a, a, a wonderful time. They shared their spiritual experiences for about an hour. They shared things I've never heard before, uh, spiritual experiences like I've never encountered before and yet uh, by, by the time they finished they're like okay your turn tell us why you live your life to tell people about Jesus and I thought wow that's a fantastic question I couldn't couldn't have asked for anything better <laughs> and so I shared for about an hour just my, my testimony shared the entire story of scripture uh, and I got to share some, some very particular things about being a Quebecois and having grown up or having experienced the church uh, like for, in their case, and, and we got to, to have a fantastic uh, conversation by the end uh, when, I, when I shared with them just this idea that we don't have to work to make our way up to God, but God comes down to us. Uh, and I shared Ephesians chapter 2, it's a great chapter, great verses, uh, chapter, ch chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, great verses about uh, just God's grace and not our works. And at the end, my friend said, so do you mean that we don't have to work? We don't have to work to, to make our way up to God? I said, that's right, because someone worked for you. And that's the good news of the gospel, friends. That's the good news that we carry to our, to our other friends. That's the good news that we, we bring to ourselves, you know, like the psalmist, soul, listen up, <laughs> listen up. Uh, let me tell you something good. That's the good news. Someone has worked on our behalf to make us right with God, just because we couldn't for ourselves. And so, like Matthew, we can become relativists. We live on our own for our own uh, pleasure, our own goals, our own pursuits, trying to climb the ladder of society to make it all the way up. Or we can be like the, the religious. We can turn into that, that other gutter. But Jesus is, is found somewhere else in the middle, the gospel way. And so I'll invite you to stand. We'll have a, a prayer, which is my next point. 
and we'll pray this together. We'll pray this together. Maybe for some of you, it's a first-time prayer. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, a, it's, it's just a part of the journey prayer. Uh, but we all need for Jesus to recalibrate us, to meet us where we are, and to touch our lives as a physician would in such a way to make us whole. So let us pray this together. Lord Jesus, help me out of my relativism and my religious spirit. You alone are the great physician who can heal me by your grace in the gospel. So live daily by your spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray as we close. O oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son to die upon the cross, to take our sins upon him so that we can have fellowship with you. And we thank you that your Spirit unites us to you. The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit whom the Father poured out, gave to the Son so that the Son could give to us. Uh, we thank you that we have fellowship with you, that we uh, have fellowship with one another today around bread and wine, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus but also we can look forward to an eternity of fellowship with you, of, of feasting with you, of feasting with one another. Lord, would you help us to have our eyes on Jesus, to cast away any sin that keeps us um, bound in, in old patterns of life, but to, 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 cons to consolidate our lives and to, to, like Matthew, to consolidate our lives and to move forward with great energy and power and, and joy in the Spirit. Oh Lord, would you meet us and energize us today? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated.